0: And we can really engage with what the Father's doing and live in the light of the resurrection. Today I want to continue our teaching series um, called Love Like Jesus. And this one, um, we've all got something in common with this one. And this one's brilliant, written for the Irish people. And we can love like Jesus really, really easily when we find out what this conversation's all about. And uh, you probably thought, you probably, a lot of people talk about why Jesus came, but we don't really talk much about how he came. We could say why he came, Jesus came to, uh, for, for the, not for the righteous, but for those who needed Christ. Uh, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. That would be true. We're, we're pushing into that, leaning into the cross and crucifixion this week. Uh, Jesus didn't come, Michelle said last week, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life. Uh, to humanity, he's, he's wonderful, um, he did a lot of amazing things, the one, the one thing I love why Jesus came is he came to, to introduce us to the love of the Father, he came to reveal the Father's will, he said the words of the Father, he did the works of the Father and so therefore he revealed God and he just did that perfectly and they're, they're, they're both the same, Jesus and God are the same. So we talk about why he came, but what about how did he come? Well, you might say, he, well, he came preaching and teaching and healing. He did do that. That's, that's a given. And you would be absolutely right in thinking that he did that. But there's another way that Jesus came, and we know this by Scripture. It says in Luke 7, 34, and we love this. I mean, I love this one. This is brilliant. How did Jesus come? It tells us in Luke seven, thirty-four. it said that the Son of Man came doing what? The Son of Man came... Eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And he did come doing that. In fact, he came eating and drinking so much that some people accused him of, of being a drunkard and a glutton. He's, he ate so much and he was around people so much that they, they actually accused him of being uh, a, a drunkard and a glutton. And I'm sure that some of you out there right now are thinking, I had no idea I had so much in common with Jesus, Right? Oh, it's just a wee joke, so relax. not looking in any particular direction. So we're in this message called Love Like Jesus. And and week number one, we talked about forgiveness. That was a big one, right? We just can't afford to have bitterness or resentment in our hearts. It's not good. It's toxic. We had that imagery of Jesus forgiving people. And then last week, Michelle did a sterling job, which was super helpful for me, actually, about how Jesus washes feet. He, He saw... Proud hearts, and he saw dirty feet, and he washed dirty feet. And that was just phenomenal. I, I loved that, the simplicity of it. I loved that it's not what we do, but it's who we are. We're a servant community. We wash the feet of humanity. So today, I'm going to use this imagery that Jesus breaks bread in the context of it's good for us to love like Jesus loves. Uh, and this is something that's going to help us, and, and, and I'm sure that. It'll be so vital if if you can engage in this conversation today, if you can uh, take it to heart, that it will literally change your life. It'll change your your energy, your your spiritual life. It'll change every dynamic of your Christian faith. And yet it's so, so simple, and yet it's something that's so, so deep at the same time. I I don't know about you, but I find find Scripture very simple to read. (laughs) I find it highly, highly uh, challenging to do at times. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we open up the ancient scriptures. I'm reading from, as I'm doing this Easter, I'm reading from the the Passion Translation. Um, So I've got it on the board behind me here, or on the wall behind me. Let me read it to you. When Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all the apostles. And he told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise you that the next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. Then he raised a cup and he gave thanks to God and he said to them, take this and pass it to one another and drink. And we're going to do that at the end of this conversation. I promise you the next time that we drink this wine, we will be together in the feast of God's kingdom realm. And then he lifted up a loaf and after praying a prayer of thanksgiving to God, he gave them each of his apostles a piece of bread saying, This loaf is my body, which is now being offered to you. Always eat it. Remember me. Always eat it to remember me. After supper was over, he lifted the cup again and he said, This cup is my blood of a new covenant that I make with you. It will be poured out soon for all of you. This is the word of the Lord. It is given to us in love and it's absolutely true. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be it. I love this imagery of all the things to do. On the last night of Jesus' physical life here on earth, before he, he dies and, and is risen again to life, he says that he was passionately looking forward to this meal. I don't know about you, but there's a disconnect for me that Jesus knows the suffering that's going to happen to him the next day. And it's going to be a cruel, cruel suffering. And it's not so much the suffering, but the separation from God that is the main thing in the story and the reality. And yet he says in this moment, he wants to share it with friends. He wants to take this moment with friends and he wants to to deliver a message with words that are rich. And I would also say words that are heavy. At this moment in time, so Jesus is doing what you did in that customer to do in that culture to do. Sorry, in the New Testament, meals were more than just something that you that you enjoyed because the food tastes good or give you nourishment. Any foodies in the house? Any people love food? I mean, and then there's foodies and there's fuels. Right? There's fuelies. And you don't want to hang about with the fuel people because they just eat when they're hungry and it's just fuel and, and they go. And so I, I have a friend that got his name. I'm not going to embarrass him. His initials are A and M. A stands for Andrew. M stands for Masters. And uh, we were in Edinburgh one time and we were going through all these streets of... Uh, just. We were heading to somewhere, uh, a church planting thing, and we were passing all these artisan craft food places. Moroccan food, Lebanese food, Indian food. And it was just... Amazing and he says, I know this fantastic place. So he takes us to a place that I would say is below the level of Willerspoons. He's a fuel guy. He don't care about the food. He just cares about getting fuel in him. Like Brian Cummins is a wee bit like the guy, you know, he just eat and run and never really thinks about it. But it's truly unchristian, Brian. So meals were a time when you would invite people that you loved, and sometimes you even invited people that you didn't know because they were associated with somebody else. A friend would bring a friend, and you would bring them into this this moment. And the purpose was to have deep fellowship with one another. Now, when you hear the word fellowship, I want you to erase from your mind bourbon creams, custard creams, and quiche. (laughs) Right? Just in case any of you are struggling with that that frame. For those who are unchurched people... Christian fellowship means quiche. Christian fellowship means bad biscuits and really dodgy coffee. But that's not the fellowship we're talking about here. This is this is luxurious. This, we we had a we had a night focused our life group uh, last Monday night, and we had uh, some friends from Syria there. And the food was amazing. It was Arabic food, and it was just ah, it was just like the Bible. I was. Yeah, I, I mean, it was worth it. I spent all day preparing and making homemade uh, hummus and, and, and all sorts of things. And it was wonderful. <laughs> Rubber soles are always a good thing when you're preaching. But it just felt like a meal. It was, it was fellowship with one another. And there's this, there's this kind of a divine nature. This is what I want you to get this morning, if I can help you with this at all. And I'm not, going, not being weird, or I'm not trying to stretch anything at all, but I want you to get this. There's this kind of a divine nature to meals. If you look at Revelation, there's a lot of talk about banquets, and food, and heaven, and the kingdom. And if you look, we've got a, we've got a lot to look forward to, right? I mean, guys, it's not. We're not going to be playing harps and doing that. We're just going to be living here on, on earth, and we're going to be eating. And guess what? You'll not put on weight. It'll be... Probably calorie-free. It's got to be so good, isn't it? Okay. Some of you are thinking, I don't want to go to heaven. So, Jesus, he breaks his bread. And and many of the first century believers, they, they really believe that you could experience God best in the context of community as you're breaking bread together doing life together. I hate that phrase now, but you know what I mean by that. We're just journeying together, just doing life together. But there's something divine. There's something where we experience the reality of God like we we don't in other places, and that's through breaking bread together and eating together. And so what I want to do today is look at the imagery of Jesus taking this moment And given this model of loving like Jesus. And and it was so, so ingrained in those disciples that they just ran with it in the first century church. In fact, my text this morning is not from the Gospels, but I want to go over to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 42 to 47. This was a very influential text in my life. We all have life texts, don't we? Texts that just, where Scripture bunches out of us and hits us when we read something. We say, that's just me. That just fits my life. That's what I'm passionate about. That's who, who I am. And So this was a text I heard many, many years ago in, in, um, in the King's Hall in Belfast by a guy called Bill Hybels, a phenomenal leader in, in church world. And he started describing to me the Acts 2 church. And by the time he got the first 47, I'd signed up. I'd signed up. And so these first New Testament believers in Acts 2.42, they got this picture of they got this. They were just doing what Jesus did. They, they, they were around the rabbi. And when you're a disciple, you do what your rabbi does. And they, they picked this up because they had spent so much time with Jesus. And now they're learning to love like Jesus. They're learning to connect just like Jesus taught them to connect. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, or two, verse 42 it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread to pray. You notice that they were devoted. It wasn't something that just happened occasionally. It wasn't something that was just accidental. It was intentional. They devoted uh, these spiritual disciplines to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And it says that everyone was filled with awe. Why don't we just do an awe sound this morning and pretend we're in a different country? Why, why don't you just do your awe sound? Go on. Just your. That's like you're not in a pantomime, people. It's not like, oh, it's good. It's like it's, oh, it's that. Oh not Oh, Do you want to try that? Let's try that. One, two, three. Yeah, that's the awe and the wonder when you're around a New Testament church. And so we want to practice that week in, week out around here, okay? So every time I get up to preach and I say something that seems a little interesting to you, you go, oh, this is new to me. Everyone was filled with awe and at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were what they were. All together, all together. Why? Because they're constantly eating, they're constantly breaking bread. See, this is an easy discipline, guys. It's an easy discipline. They're doing life together. There, they were all together, and and they're they're just connecting with each other. They they. Had, it, it, oh, what do, what do you hear this? It's, it's it sounds like communism, but it's not. So if if any of you are to the far right or the in, Far left, this is not what this is, or if any can I just do my own talk please? But no, I, I know what I was going to do. I was what I was going to say, if you're at the far right, get over yourselves and this is not what this is about. Right, thank you. If those who don't know this data at the front is my wife, if you're a visitor to church. That my friends, right there. It's a new staff member. <laughs> I don't need any trustee approval. It's just happened. They sold property and possessions and they gave to anyone who it need. And you just read that and it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Man, but, in fact, you read this with reality. Read this with, with nerves. Read this with, with, with what it is in our context, in our culture. If, if you head on to Acts chapter 4, you're, you're going to find out that the Bible said eventually there was no need. There was no need because they were meeting the needs of everybody that met together. They were connecting with people. This wasn't just somebody that knew that somebody out there in the community that need, needed something. And this was Davey and Sandra's wee boy, Jimmy, who was in need. This is somebody in community. This is somebody that they knew. This is somebody that they connected with. And, and so they, they see the need, and they, and they actually meet the need in community because there was, there was a deep, deep commitment to fellowship. And, and we've lost it, and if I could spend... A couple of hours this morning doing this sort of teaching, I would, and, uh, but I'd probably be talking to myself, so that wouldn't be helpful. But guys, this is so important. This is something that we've lost in our 21st century craziness world, this, this world of uh, consumerism and the individualistic and the me world. We have lost what it really means to, to show up and connect. Uh, I think it was Woody Allen said, not that I think he's a great theologian, but I think he said 90% of life is showing up. 90% of life is just showing up. And it? it's so, so that in the kingdom of heaven. It's so, so that. And so these people showed up. They committed at a level that was deep. And, and then they met the needs. Can you? I, I, I'd struggle with that level of commitment, would you? Maybe not. You want me to try it out on you? Here's your car. I need a car. Derek. <laughs> it's not yours. Oh, I, ah, uh, easy one, easy one there. Can I have the wife's car? Man, you've got to think about it, right? It goes on to say that every day they continue to do what? They met together in the temple courts, and, and they did what? They broke bread in their homes, and they did what? They had together. They gathered together. They had deep fellowship. They had commitment to each other. Nobody had need, and, and they went into this corporate gathering, and then and they also went into this group gathering, into houses, people's homes, and they, they met together. Man, they are committed. They are committed, and they faced it together, and there was something divine about it. See, the commitment, the, the loving nature of this first century community of Jesus' followers, they, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God. And guess what happened? They actually enjoyed the favor of community. There was, something, there was something so appealing about it, something so sticky about it. What happens is that God adds to the number daily those who are being saved. Now, I know it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but I want to say that we have a partnership with God that that sometimes we we try and get out of right we all we all it wasn't me it was the lord you know somebody gets up and sings something oh that was brilliant it wasn't me it was the lord i always say don't kid yourself if it was the lord it would sound a lot better than that it wasn't that good all right so we do partner with jesus we do partner with god And, and i think there's something in the devoting yourselves and the connection to community and eating together and the giving of our of our stuff that actually is so attractive that it takes us on a journey to go and find out more about jesus And then God adds to his kingdom those who are coming into that kingdom. What does that mean? That means everyday marriages are changing. That means everyday divisions are being broken down. Racial uh, sectarianism uh, walls are, are, are brought low. That means that every day somebody finds hope in their job again. That means that every day, every day somebody's life is being transformed by the message and the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the king. Isn't it amazing? And where does it begin? It begins when a small band of people devote themselves together and intentionally say, we're going to do a level of commitment. We're going to do a level of commitment that's honoring and it's costly. And and let's be serious. The reason why we wouldn't do this level of commitment or anything at all that would put us off is the cost of it. The cost of it. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment or two. Fellowship, commitment, the nature of community. People committed to a spiritual discipline so much so that there's an overflow. There's an overflow of the presence of God, and I, I guarantee you, other people are looking on and they're watching that. And they're saying, "I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that." There should be something attractive about the church in our 21st century. If we're not attractive or something wrong, you know why? Because people that didn't agree with Jesus, people that were so unlike Jesus, they longed to be around Jesus. Now, like maybe they were getting free food. Yeah, I understand that. But Jesus was attractive. And we're the body of Christ here and there. So we should have irresistible environments where people are attracted to the local church. Where they say, you know what? I don't get them. They look a bit weird. Uh, you, let's face it. You do look a bit weird, some of you. But <laughs> I'm just joking. But, but, but I want to be part of that. They're so lucky. You know, it's that, a language of maybe people outside the church. They might use the language, you're so lucky. You're so lucky you have somebody to go through the hard times with. You're so lucky that you're not on your own. You're so lucky that you've got somebody praying with you. You're so lucky that somebody knocks at your door and shows up and begs you a cake when you need it at that very moment. You're so lucky. You're so lucky to have people around you. They might use that language, but it's, it's the language really of community, relationship, and fellowship. I want to be part of that. You're so committed to someone else that you really don't have needs. Why? Because you're meeting the needs of one another in the name of Jesus Christ, Messiah, King. That challenges me to my very core. Now, I ask the question, knowing the answer for myself and most of us in this room. Is that the level of relationship we have with Christ and with one another? Is that the level of relationship that we have with one another? Is that the level of commitment that we have with with one another? I don't think so, but we aspire to it, and we can get there. It's costly, right? I grew up in a house in the state in Derry called Lincoln Courts, and uh, it was brilliant. I mean, I learned community there. I used to walk with boys around the state at night, and we learned to spit through your teeth and blow grass, not, not that type of grass, real grass that grew on the ground, and you used to make a noise with it. Do you ever do that? We talked about guards and fights and all sorts of things. And it was community. I learned how to walk. I learned how to connect with people. It was was my first small group outside of the church. And most of those people today we're still connecting with and visiting in prison. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things we used to do is play cats. Anybody ever play cats? because it's a family tradition, right? Your mother might not know about this makeup, but now's not the time to put your hand up son. <laughs> you you not know, play cats in Toronto, no? So cats is basically you jump over people's gardens. Do you have an audience for? It? Uh they, they, he's like all oh, right, so you just start at one row and you just see how many gardens you get over before the neighbour comes out with a brush shaft or something to get there and chases yeah. I got caught by a policeman's wife one time. Doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean. She came out of the house and caught me jumping over a garden. And then that's what I mean. So in those days it was great. So you just start off in one. And uh, uh, every time I think about cats, I always think about dogs, poo, and rhododendrons. Because I fell in their rhododendron and there was dogs, dirt all over went home. The imagery is brilliant this morning, isn't it? And so, anyway, you, you just went from one, and you just, and there was high, you know you're like, when you're a wee lad, like the fences are that high and the bushes are that, and you're screaming my nerves and running through gardens, but in our modern society, we don't do that anymore. And you're saying, no, yeah, no kidding, Jason, we don't do that. You see, people put fences up now and big cages up, and we, we keep the neighbors at length, and really what you're doing is you're spoiling a lot of fun for a lot of young boys who so you want to play cats. But there's more to it than that. And then there's the technology that continues to bless us. And they are blessings at times, and I love them. But do you remember when the answering machine came out? No. no. It, it was brilliant. You never played Russian roulette with your mother-in-law ever again. You knew you knew, you could just listen to it. You didn't want to pick it up. You didn't have to pick it up. And then when you heard the person's voice, you said... As if the other person could hear you. Don't say anything. You think you're being recorded live, don't you? Shh, Jim, mother. (laughs) And then beyond that, we had caller ID. That is the beautiful thing when you have in laws right? (laughs) So you just, nah. We're not home right now. Please leave a message after the beep. So, and you remember you used to have to go out shopping. You remember you did the big shopping on the Thursday night, the Stuart supermarket? You got the yellow pack crisps, and all your mates used to slag you off because you had yellow pack biscuits. No. Remember that? And, and and here's another thing. I know I'm wasting a lot of time, but what has happened to yogurt? You, you remember you got a peach melba and a hazelnut yogurt and a strawberry yogurt? now all of a sudden, you can, you can, for love and your money, you can't find a hazelnut yogurt or a peach melba yogurt. Now it's like it's Greek, this, and you know, berries, and I just, I a love to talk about this, stick to the task. So, you know you do internet shopping, the wee man from Tesco comes to your house and brings it into the kitchen, and you don't have to see anybody, and it's great if you're buying alcohol and you're a pastor of a church, it's phenomenal. <laughs> I hate it when people in church look inside your shopping basket, or your trolley, in fact I hate it when people look inside my trolley anyway, so if I'm in a supermarket, please don't look inside my trolley, okay? it's a place of privacy <laughs> and then we got Instagram and Facebook I mean, you could just double tap if you really cared but is that really caring double tap, do the heart thing the reaction thing hey let's do lunch but you know rightly you're never going to do lunch you yeah, we're going to eat together we should hang out more but this is this imagery of breaking bread and community. Do we have that, or do we have fences and technology and reasons and excuses and holidays? And do we have all that? I want to present to you an opportunity—an opportunity for us to get better. And guys, I'm not again. I'm not preaching out of a problem here this morning. I just want to preach the scriptures and and direct them to our lives best as we can. So this is not a beat you up morning or anything like that. In fact, you're all here and and those who are not here, you should say to them this afternoon, it was a really good talk. It's just for you. It's all about commitment and showing up. So I know I'm talking to the choir. In fact, this church is wonderful at commitment and community and showing up. Why do we break bread? Because we love one another. It's that simple and we want to celebrate the presence of God. And God is so good that we just can't do that alone. We need other people to do that. This, this, this Christian community of faith is not on our own. It's always together. It's believers who join hands together, who join their voices together. We, we worship our good God together because God's just so good and we wanna do it together. And that's the commandment. As we talk about breaking the bread and the image, I want you to have this in mind and this might be a shift for you. It's actually every time we eat together and every time, and Anglicans have probably got this much better than we have in the vineyard is that we're actually sharing Jesus together. We break bread, we're breaking the body of Christ, and we're sharing the body of Jesus together. That's what we do. You, you enjoy Jesus? I enjoy Jesus. Let's do, it, let's do it together. Is that simple enough for you? It's not something mystical. It's not something weird. It's when we break bread, we are actually sharing Jesus. We live in, in a world today that highly values, like I said, to start independence how many of you agree to that? Like independence is the buzzword, right? We, I want to be financially independent. I want to be relationally independent. The problem to be a follower of Jesus is just it's directly opposite of being independent. To be like Jesus is to have dependency on others. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is actually to be dependent. Do you recognise that? It's so so true. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and be independent. I'm sorry if, if somebody sold you a false gospel, but that's just the reality. You cannot be independent. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself. To be a follower of Jesus means you're completely dependent on the grace of Jesus, the presence of God. And, and truthfully, if we're dependent on one another, because we're incomplete without each other, guys. That's why we depend on each other too. So to be a follower of Jesus is to depend upon God and also other people. Oh, that's a no-brainer, Jesus. But the reality, if we really practice that at a level of biblical Um, challenge that is very hard the challenge is and and I want to embrace the positive movement that has happened in my lifetime but it's still a challenge in my lifetime I'm sure in yours too there's this very positive teaching about the need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that's a good thing right it's a good thing this is so important why because you can't have your granny's faith you can't have your dad's faith can't have your great aunt's faith who prayed for you for years. You've got to have your own faith. And, and it's funny when it comes to the baptism thing, why, why many people don't want to get baptized, actually it's not because of a belief system, it's actually an emotional connectedness to someone else. So you feel like if I get baptized, I'm letting down my parents who, who got me baptized as a kid. It's not so much belief, but it's all emotion and so and connection. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a helpful thing. You cannot inherit your dad's faith, your granny's faith. And I celebrate that. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. This language is, is really wasn't really part of Christian language years and years ago. It was, wasn't about. And so it's a good thing. Again, I celebrate it. I applaud it. But I want to say that it's not really scriptural at the same time. Because as you look at scripture, as you look at biblical Christianity, as you look at the New Testament church, the phrase should be, a shared relationship with Jesus. When you're born again into the family of God, it's a shared relationship with Jesus. We really, really, really need a shared relationship with Jesus because we best experience the presence of God in the context of community. I've got two thoughts. Thought number one, I want to encourage you, and again, this sounds very elementary, very simple. I want want you to share the love of Jesus with others at church this gallery we are the church Hebrews ten twenty five, 25 the offer of the Hebrews said to the Hebrews said let us not let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds do you have do you get together do we get together often enough and then it's how do we the, the answer the, the other part of that question is yeah we do and then how do we how do we help people How can we show love to each other? How can we spur one another on? You know, we can go fishing, we can go to the cinema, we can go shopping together, we can have lots of fun together, we can eat together. But imagine being part of a community where you got together and said, how can we make a bigger difference? How can I spur you on? How can I make a bigger difference in my community? Where can we serve in our church? Where can we go and and make a difference in, in this town in Dungannon. That's why we do give a day to Dungannon. How can we together show the love of Jesus? How can we, we be an attraction to the people that don't yet know Jesus, that they say, you're lucky. I want what you have. That's what the author is saying. Today, he, he goes on to say, and let us not give up what? What does he say? Meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing So the habit is wrong. The habit should be meeting together. The habit in that culture was they weren't meeting together. They were constantly stopping it. But but let's encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I I laugh at Christians. Most of the the headbands that talk about last days are never in a community of faith. Sorry. It's true, isn't it? people with the weird theology that end times coming those are the people that rarely listen to a podcast or or go to here there and everywhere and they don't only really sit down and lock arms with each other and serve one another and give to one another and love one another and then take that to the community beyond the four walls see it's much more fun talking about jesus coming back and uh, and parceling it all up for yourself and living in cuckoo land than it is to actually costively and effectively serve one another in love like jesus taught us to do in community, Does that make sense to you? One of the biggest challenges today, people, is that we've given up meeting together. in the corporate worship of church, and I, I talk to pastors all the time, and presence matters. Presence matters. There's power in presence. There's, pro, there's. That's what Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. There's something mystical. There's something brilliant about meeting together you can't do it on your own you can't do it by a podcast you can't do it by running your dogs off on the beach and all that and those are all good things but you know why we've got there people because we haven't there to take a sabbath see most of us are exhausted and you think that you're taking a rest but you're not really taking a rest most of us go away and holidays and come back actually exhausted Needing a holiday from her holiday. Do you ever find that? You come back from your holiday and you can't face work on a Monday morning because you're absolutely exhausted because you have no rhythm to your life. You have no Sabbath in your life. We need to learn to take Sabbath. We need to learn to rest. We need to to get back to the, the church days and the crazy, prices days when the shop's all shut on Sunday and everybody had a weekend, right? I had a conversation with Micah this morning and I said like this was just fresh on our agenda this morning. I said, "Dungannon's terrible, isn't it? Like, and I love Dungana, but there was a negative confession right there. You can't get a cup of coffee at nine o'clock in the morning. And there's nowhere open. And Maggie says to me, do you want to live in a cosmopolitan town? Dad, or do you want to live in a town where people actually stop on a Sunday and spend time with their family and don't have to go to work and serve you coffee? And I thought, oh. go on, Mickey, you tell him. I said, son, I just want a coffee. Now, shut up. (laughs) You know, if I tell you I'm praying for you, right? There's some power in that, isn't there? I tell you, there's something more and more powerful when I'm actually standing beside you and laying hands on you and praying for you, right? Those things, because there's power in presence, guys. You know, that's why the, the New Testament church, you know, it's not some charismatic weirdness when we lay hands on people. There's just something about physical presence. There's something about being a conduit for the Holy Spirit. We're, we're people. We're beings born again into the spirit of... Uh, uh, by the Spirit of Christ reborn into the image of God and God indwells us and therefore when we connect with people when we love people when we feed people when we pray for people when we journey with people when we cry with people when we weep with people there's something that's so so profound there's something that's so holy in that moment because God uses people and it's a beautiful thing can you imagine did anybody watch Netflix? Any, if any has got my password because everybody seems to be using my Netflix no <laughs> So can you imagine, like, if we're—I'm going to probably finish up because I've got another point, I don't have time to go on to it. But can you imagine, like, a new movie comes out on Netflix, and as Netflix are doing now, they're producing movies, not just—and so you see them first on Netflix. So, uh, you know, you have this wonderful idea. Mike is back from college. Caleb will be back on Wednesday. and Mali. Well, who knows where Mali is half the time. She's probably fishing or doing something The gap. But this one night, we're going to plan to watch a movie together. And I have this brilliant idea of how we should watch this movie because this new movie is going to be coming out for Easter. And so my idea is that I want to watch it in the living room. And so I think that Michelle should watch it in the bedroom on her tablet. And there's another TV in the other room. We are posh. We've got two TVs in our house, right? And so I think that Caleb could actually watch it in what we call the Xbox room, and Matty, well, he'll probably be upstairs somewhere or out fishing, so actually, we could get you 3G or 4G, and you could watch it on your phone, and that'd be so much fun, and we'll watch it all at the same time, at 7 o'clock on Friday, this Friday night coming, we'll miss uh, the evening service, that Good Friday thing, isn't it? Uh, Because you've got to bring something to it, and that's costly, right? And you've got to make something, and that just infringes on your day. And so let's not do that, but let's watch this new movie together. And it'd be so much fun, won't it? Like, here's me in the living room. There's Caleb in the Xbox room. There's Michelle upstairs in the tablet. There's Matty watching it uh, on his phone. And, oh, Mickey, Mickey, he's in the kitchen watching it on his new computer. Can you imagine how much fun that would be? Wouldn't it? Because it's, it's just absurd, isn't it? Because there's just something about experience, something together that is incredibly powerful. Perhaps the biggest concern I have right now for the local church in, in Northern Ireland. Studies across the board are saying that people are attending church two times a month, right? And uh, honestly, I don't know what to do with that. Without, we don't want to be this church that dictates or be, or where you're you're, you're feeling like you feel like you've guilt, but. I, I can give you some reasons why, why we don't do that. Number one is the value and the cost of showing up and gathering together. Uh, as a, and again, I just want to tell you my story and then I'm finished, okay? And then we're going to break bread together and community together. I, um, now, please hear me in this here. I am not telling you what to do. My son works on a Sunday, so this, my story and his story is two different things. So I don't want anybody... You guys are hilarious. The things I say here and then when you, I hear them back, it's like, did I say that? Did you hear what Jason said on Sunday? There is UFO life on the Hill of Tyrone. I mean, sometimes it gets, you're that bad, right? Right, Harvey? Right. And so, I want to tell you my experience, right? So I, la- I left a job uh, where I worked, didn't work Sundays, and I got this new job where I had to work Sundays. Uh, this game is not prescription for anybody. But I wasn't enjoying life. I was miserable. I didn't feel connection with Jesus and, and God and, or anything like that. So I, I, one night I was just so depressed. I was in this new job. We were about to open up this new store. On uh, Thursday, I phoned my old boss on the Wednesday night and more or less said, I'm hating life. Would you take me back? <laughs> and, of course, when you've got me, like, <laughs> who wouldn't take this back? You know, this is just like snow to the Eskimos and. Sand in the desert material. Um, it was retail. And so he said, yes. And life changed again because I was back in community. And that was a price for me to pay. And I'm not, I'm not prescribing that. I don't know if it's a healthy story to tell, but I just want to tell a personal story. It's that I chose to do that. I would get paid less again. But there was so much value for me in showing up on a Sunday. And gathering together with family and friends and praying for one another, loving one another, and, and actually maybe, maybe getting to the place where if somebody had need that we would meet that need. And what I'm not saying in this, I'm not saying don't take a rest. I'm not saying don't, get, don't spend your life. I'm not saying "Spend your life in church. I don't want you to spend your life in meetings. That's not what you're meant to do. But I think we've got to the opposite end, I think, where we've gone now in, in our culture, in our society, is that this thing just doesn't matter. This is, this is second best. Every other choice comes before this choice. Your holidays, you're, you're going out. You're, you know, I know people, you, we probably even make decisions where we're not going to go to church on a Sunday morning because we're too tired from the night before. That's just silly. And it really is silly. It's, you know, the weather's nice. You, you can't win, in Northern Ireland, actually, because the weather's nice, there's nobody here. And the weather's bad, there's nobody here. <laughs> All right. Please don't feel any rebuke. I want to encourage us, guys, that to love like Jesus actually means showing up. It means breaking bread together on a Sunday gathering and also in one another's homes and sharing fellowship that is deep and it's legitimate. And there's some practical things that we can do over Easter series. I want to encourage you to learn to take Sabbath, rest at home. If you can't rest at home, you're not going to rest on holidays, that's a fact. If you can't learn to rest at home, you think you're going to rest when you're away somewhere. I, I, I know what I was like, before I took Sabbath, I would go away somewhere, it would take me three or four days just to come back to planet earth again, and then by the time you're coming near the end of your holiday, it's over. Of course it's over, because you're at the end of the holiday, season. but you know what I mean. <laughs> by the time you're starting to feel relaxed, the holiday's over and you, you're back to work again, because we have not learned to take Sabbath take a day of rest, rest, connect and family. When you do that, you're living out of a place of rest, you're living out of a place of, of connection, and you can, you can do that. You can be rested. The other thing that I want to encourage you to do is, just not go crazy on this social media stuff. Um, without sounding like a grandamush, like I have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and MySpace, and up and I got it all got it all happening but it has to be more than click if you like it has to be more double heart if you love something let's engage in community and so at easter time easter's a time of sacrifice it's a time of commitment again i want us to stand if we can now and we're going to worship together if you're able to stand please